Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention. And each month I chat with distinguished researchers and practitioners about topics of their interest. Today's conversation will be with Ms. Jennifer Thompson, MPH, and Ms. Lauren Malpana, MPH, from the University of Texas School of Public Health. Jennifer and Lauren are members of the Student and Young Professional Committee of the US Society for the Advancement of Violence and Injury Research. The purpose of the SAVA Student and Young Professional Committee is to bring the voice and perspective of students and young professionals to the SAVA board. I've taken the opportunity of the upcoming SAVA conference to invite Jennifer and Lauren for a discussion that I'm hoping will shake us up a bit. They've kindly agreed, but on the understanding they will be speaking as individuals and not representing the views of any university or other organisation. What we'll be doing today is shining a light on the field of injury prevention and violence prevention from the perspective of two people starting off on their careers. It's sometimes difficult for those of us in a place who've been in a place for a long time to see it clearly. Today we'll be getting a perspective that's fresh, that's going to make us think a little about how we do our work how we achieve the goals that we're setting out to achieve and how to advance a cause we all believe in. Okay, how about we lead off with some introductions. Jennifer, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a PhD student in epidemiology with an interest in violence and prevention work. Um, and I actually came to this work after experiencing some of the re very real and direct impacts of violence in my own life. Uh, in fact, that actually derailed my career for well over a decade. Um, I've always been excited by epidemiology, and in particular, I really like the detective element of trying to kind of figure, figure something out from the field. Um, but after having lived and seeing the nuanced and very personal and real ways that violence impacts um, health in a drove of ways, um, I ended up coming back to pursue a doctorate, um, and I really appreciate being here today. Thanks, Jennifer. Now over to you, Lauren. All right, so my name is Lauren Malthainer. I'm a PhD candidate in epidemiology um, with an interest in violence research, um, specifically child maltreatment, abuse and neglect events, and then also mental health stemming from maltreatment events. I became interested in this topic during my time working at an injury research center at a children's hospital, where I realized that um, my experience as a child, which was very happy and full of love, is not what all children experience. And it was such a light bulb moment for me. I really just want to be able to advocate for children who may be less fortunate um, than me in this regard. And I feel like there's a lot of important work to be done here. And I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. You've both explained uh, who you are and your aspirations for your doctoral studies as a integrated whole. It seems that one's fed into the other in some ways. Do you feel that you'll be able to bring that whole self throughout the rest of your studies and into your career, or do you think there are barriers in the academic world that might prevent you from bringing your whole self to work? Jennifer? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, and I think for me, the short answer really is that academia and research still feel very traditional. Um, so we see a lot of talk or highlights uh, around innovative and non-traditional research 
methods or programs or institutes, but the bottom line is you still have to get through a very real and very traditional PhD um, in order to even get there. And so challenges for someone like myself, um, you know, I actually had a stroke in my mid-20s, and so I've dealt with a number of health-related challenges and consequences, and I've felt, and I've probably made the personal assumption um, that I didn't belong that I wouldn't fit, that there wasn't space for me. Uh, and so it's been, it's been a challenge. And some of those are, are challenges that I've, I've maybe placed upon myself. Yes, when you start off, uh, a lot of it's uh, what you have to do is something you have to work out for yourself, don't you? There's no easy one way through this process. And uh, we need to set it up so that we can encourage uh, the best of all of us. Lauren, you're a experience also was uh, very singular. Do you think you'll be able to be Lauren in the future or will you have to be somebody else? I think that um, for me personally, when I think of bringing my whole self to work, I think of being like exactly who I am um, in outside of work and being that person inside of work um, and being completely open. But um, I currently don't really think that is possible for me. Um, I think that in the United States, at least, there is like a perfect PhD student vision um, uh, that kind of like glorifies being a workaholic. And um, I see that both in, uh, in students in my program, students outside of my program, and also online. Um, and I think that I really start to compare myself and kind of similar to Jennifer's experience, I have some underlying health conditions, um, a little bit uh, less extreme, but also I feel like in that could be relatable to many students who are PhD students currently. Um, I know I definitely can't like pull all-nighters or work like a 12-hour shift or I get pretty sick. Um, and I think personally, um, even knowing this about myself, I feel guilty when I'm not working or when I'm not being productive. And um, to relate back to your question, I think that I don't feel yet that it's possible in an academia setting to, to um, show, tell people this about myself because um, I don't want to be seen as like a weak link or that I can't, uh, that I'm not asked to contribute to a project or something in fear that I won't get the work done. And I really think that um, we need to, to shift, I think, to, um, to being able to be our whole selves at work. I think that is an ideal um, workplace environment. So, Lauren, your question there touches on this issue of diversity and representation from the vast array of different peoples that we have here working in the field. Um, we've struggled with that a little bit in academia in general, I guess. In, in injury, we've brought it to the fore recently. But... The question is how successful we are being at the moment and where we could improve in terms of getting a greater diversity and a greater representation from the range of peoples that have a stake in the game. Have you any suggestions perhaps about how well we're doing or how we could do something about it or what the risks for the field are perhaps if we don't step forward into this space? Just ideas from yeah, somebody definitely. who's experiencing it. Definitely. I think, um, you know, speaking through um, my challenges and concerns, I think a lot of them have to do with not seeing other people struggle um, in the academia setting. I know that, like, for students, there's a lot of amazing resources that are offered, but 
a lot of times for me, and I know for other students too, it's really difficult to advocate for yourself and be vulnerable in this setting. And I think um, everybody more, being more open about what they're experiencing um, and challenges, like, hey, I struggle with, I don't know, like anxiety. Um, if I knew more about this, about other people, I think that I would not feel as alone. And I think, um, especially in undergrad and in uh, other school settings, like I never really saw these challenges. And then it's not really until I reached my PhD program and that I was seen as more of like a colleague that I was uh, able to kind of see uh, these challenges that other people are facing. Um, and so I think be, like being open and, and honest um, about struggles and uh, is important in that if we don't do this, I think that um, if we're not more welcoming and honest with young students and professionals, we might lose a lot of bright people who don't feel like, like Jennifer said, they have a place or like who are scared that like they don't fit in or they don't fit the standard or it's not possible for them. Thanks, Lauren. You made a few comments there, which sort of picked up Jennifer's earlier observation about insiders, outsiders. And if you're still an outsider, how do you get into this world? What do you have to do and what the expectations are? Jennifer, you were obviously working towards some sort of idea there. Could you carry that a bit further for us? Sure. Um, I think for me, it, it echoes entirely what Lauren has said about being vulnerable and authentic. And in fact, I actually um, struggled for a number of years. I didn't see myself as being able to fit in. I thought that it was too late. Um, that I, I didn't have the chance to do the amazing internship at the WHO or work at the CDC over the summer. Um, those types of things that are designed for uh, a very specific population. It felt like the train had left the station, so to speak. It was too late. It was too late for me and I didn't have a chance to come back. Uh, and it really wasn't until I was in my MPH program and I did an online MPH program and I had several uh, professors that that really mentored me and a few of them were very candid and open about their own experiences and their own challenges and for some of them it was they have some very significant health challenges and they had said to me there's a place for you and if if you if you find a place and you want to go and they don't want to have you then you you can go somewhere else but I'm telling you 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 belong here and I hadn't heard that I, nobody had told me that. And like Lauren said, we, we see the pr productivity side of, of PhDs and doctoral work. We don't see that um, those challenges, the maybe accommodations, the way that you, you went about a project in a non-traditional way because you couldn't do something all night. So instead you, you planned ahead. And that, that type of accommodation, I think for those of us who have to request it, it feels like we're somehow getting a competitive edge and it, it's not. We're often working twice as hard, I think. Um, but it's changing that perception both for those of us that are going through it and the system that's deciding whether or not they give the accommodation, frankly. Okay, so let's take that point into a slightly different area, but it is related. And that's this issue of, of feeling isolated. Um, academia has its clubs, it's, it's disciplines, it's got geographical locations, it's got allegiances to, to different sorts of ways of understanding science, uh, different sorts of universities perhaps. So because injury is a really small, relatively small field, 
uh, fragmented across a lot of topics, across a lot of institutions, across a lot of disciplines, that there's a risk that we can create silos that uh, you're exposed to rather than that you're exposed to the breadth of what injury prevention is. Lauren, do you want to comment a little bit about your experience there, whether you find that that's the case, find that that's a problem, quite happy with the way things are? Are the challenges arising from that situation I've just described for you? Yeah, I feel kind of um, two, two different thoughts on this question, but um, I think that first, I'm really lucky to be in a program where I feel like I get a lot of interdisciplinary research experience and that I've been exposed to a lot of different stakeholder groups um, for violence. Um, and then on the other hand, I think that I really uh, collaborate with these groups like one or two at a time. So I get a lot of exposure to a lot of different groups, but it's just not all combined as one, where I really think that we would do our best, um, our best research and, and create our best interventions. Um, and I think like with my topic area of children, um, there's so many different stakeholders that we have to bring to the table when, when thinking about them, like especially parents and schools and people that are not necessarily involved in research. And um, uh, how do we get all these people together at the table? And then also I think that when we are doing our, our research and presenting and having conferences, um, it's still a struggle because like if I'm doing a law enforcement project, I go to a law enforcement conference conference. If I go to a, if I'm doing a child abuse project, I'd go to a social work conference. And how do we, how do we get these, these projects and these results out there to the masses instead of just uh, one specific stakeholder group and getting all these, like I said, getting all these people together at the table, especially when um, the population is so vulnerable, like children, I think would really have a impact on our, on our uh, capabilities, but also I honestly just don't have a good answer yet on how we would do this. Um, uh, I thought and thought, but I think we're working towards it, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Thanks, Lauren. And what about you, Jennifer? It, it feels quite similar. I think for me, it's felt like I've had to, to sort of choose a side or pick a side. Um, I have previously done some some research within the social work realm, in part because I had such strong interest in in violence work and that I just I wasn't seeing an opportunity for violence research within a public health lens or within a public health framework. So while I was incredibly drawn to epidemiology, I, I, I love just about everything there is um, about it. I wanted to take that skill set and and address a problem that I was very passionate about, and I couldn't find um, that within public health. I knew there were researchers out there that were doing it, but not at that master's or early doctoral level. Um, so I've had to to try and advocate for myself and reach out to to partners that I've um, either met through previous. Uh, projects or at, at conferences, but it still feels very siloed because as Lauren said, we go to a a, a criminal justice conference or we go to, uh, you know, the the public health conference and, and it still feels like we're trying to force, um, you know, a, 
a square peg into a round hole as the, as the saying goes. Um, so I would certainly welcome, and I would love to learn from those other fields. Social Works um, has a ton of really great qualitative researchers, and they are um, very attuned to the nuances of some of those conversations. And those are skills that would enhance my ability to conduct um, epidemiologic research within that realm. And I, I would would welcome the opportunity to learn from them. You're both talking with the um, the, the passion and the, the sense of having thrown yourself into your PhD as if the world was in a normal place at the moment, and it's clearly not for all sorts of reasons. But with respect to this idea of the pandemic learning or, or how you've had to have an extra layer of isolation perhaps because of the pandemic processes, and yet still tried to keep that engagement, that, that spark of, of enjoyment and excitement and passion about your work. Um, how have you found that experience? How have you found that the pandemic has affected what you thought PhDs were all about? I actually did my master's work in an online program. I started it pre-pandemic um, and I certainly faced at least my own internal judgment. There was uh, a little bit, I think, of an assumption that online learning was somehow less than in-person learning. Uh, it's different. I would argue very strongly that it's not less than. Um, I came away with some very tangible and real skills that were immediately <laughs> applicable in the environment and context of a pandemic. Things like being able to uh, conduct webinars and do trainings virtually that by the very nature of having done an online program, those were skills that I was quite comfortable with. Um, however, as it relates to some of the conversations around authenticity and being able to see uh, challenges or, or, or get to genuinely know somebody, it, it's incredibly challenging and it's, it's almost impossible in certain regards. Um, I had a notion, I know when I started, a PhD of, of maybe... I don't want to call it a Hollywoodized version, but I kind of had this idea of, you know, it's small, intimate classrooms of, you know, a group of four or five people that are just bantering about ideas and topics and 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 challenging each person to to think more deeply and to make connections. Um, and I suppose some of that that happens in a pandemic environment. Um, it it certainly. Um, much more more challenging and difficult in, in that regard. And they're just access to services and support. You, you don't see anything beyond um, kind of the, the version of what somebody wants to present to you, whether that's your classmates or your, your professors. Um, right. So it, it certainly adds a, a layer. And the fact that we're managing this conversation across thousands of miles and and across, in your case, hundreds of miles or so, I think, between where you're both sitting at the moment, and yet we sound like we're in the same room, I think is a, a commendable uh, illustration of how well you're doing this. But Lauren, you must have had a similar sort of experiences or, or different experiences. Yeah, and I think that I, I definitely want to say that I appreciate all of the hard work and, and challenges that like the school has faced in shifting everything to be online. And I think that given everything that they've done a really great job, but um, there's definitely still challenges. And I think I agree with Jennifer that it, it 
definitely ties back into the whole authenticity um, point that we've been discussing. But when I started my PhD, I um, really wanted to become an expert in my field, which I'm quickly learning that there's a ton of that I don't know, and that's I don't know if it's ever going to be possible. But um, I think like learning this, I've definitely felt a lot of imposter syndrome, which I think is really common among PhD students and maybe students in general. But I think with the pandemic, like an extra layer that's been added on that um, makes this harder than maybe ever before and for students at any level is that um, we're not seeing in person the challenges that other students are facing or the challenges that um, professors are facing. And in our schools, they they list all of these accomplishments that um, other students are achieving. And so I'm sitting at home, like struggling to get my code to work for the three days in a row. And I'm seeing uh, all these manuscripts getting published. And this person just won this award. And it's like, what am I doing here? These people are perfect. And um, I think not being around people in person, you lose kind of um, uh, the human element that that you get and you realize like, oh, everybody struggles, everybody's having challenges. Um, and I think that we're all just doing our best trying to survive a pandemic, life, school, all of the above. And we just need to be easier on ourselves and cut ourselves some slack. It's hard. It is hard. And if you haven't got that cohort effect uh, where your colleagues and peers are your best support, um, then you do miss, don't you? One-to-one um, -one with your supervisors and your professors is not the whole PhD experience and you've had to create that for yourself online, which is an extra thing on top. But thank you very much. Um, both in early career stage, both engaged uh, in public service, uh, both deep thinkers about areas which I've been thinking and haven't come up with answers for in 40 years. So I think the field is in safe hands if you two and your colleagues like yourselves uh, are as enthusiastic about injury prevention as you clearly are. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a privilege having this conversation with you. Absolutely, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We've been walking for this last little while in the shoes of two PhD scholars, starting their careers in violence and injury prevention. It's been a pleasure and a great learning experience for me, and I'm sure for many of us whose PhD years are a long way behind. I invite you to subscribe to Injury Prevention Podcasts on all your favourite platforms or apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. You're welcome to leave reviews and suggest topics you'd like to hear further about. I also invite you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com.